And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Good to be here, Dan. And also on the phone with us is the Reverend Kevin Sherrod. Thanks for having me, Dan. Well, gentlemen, it's great to have you here today. Uh, We've got kind of an interesting discussion on the table before us. I'm not even quite sure how to describe it. And that's bad, of course, when you're the host. But uh, (laughs) let me just um, explain some of my thinking. You know, the other day I was reading in the book of Acts and uh, reading a little bit about uh, Stephen is brought before the council and he's preaching. Uh, Eventually he will lose his life. Eventually uh, they will stone Stephen for his testimony because uh, his words were very convicting to the people that were hearing him. Um, but in the process, he was recounting the glorious history, we could call it redemptive history, um, of Israel. Uh, there was a time when they would be in bondage in a foreign land and during the course of 400 years, a, a long time. And yet, um, as we read it, I think it took all of about a half a sentence, at least in the Acts record, of uh, recording what what took place. And I started to think about that and how that God looks at um, his redemption of his people through, obviously, different lenses than we do. We're very short-sighted. Uh, I'm very short-sighted. But God has a plan, and he has a people. Um, this 400 years was nothing, I suppose, to him. Um, And with time, he would bring his people through to where they should be in the promised land, etc. Eventually, he would raise up Moses. And Moses, I think he was like age 40. Uh, He visits his brethren, the children of Israel, and he ends up seeing some injustice being performed against one of his brothers. And so he kills an Egyptian. And uh, then a whole other 40 years passes uh, before he has the experience uh, in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, the flame of fire in a bush. And so God's perspective seems to be much more long-range oftentimes than ours. And so uh, with that, I'd like to start uh, discussing uh, at least the perspective of uh, Uh, God's redemption in history, and how that sometimes it takes longer than what we may think or what we would like. And what kind of a perspective should we have in light of the kind of God that we serve and how he works in history? So with all of that, who would like to get us started? I was going to just say, Dan, we were having a a Bible discussion a few evenings ago, and and uh, you were there on the Pilgrim's Progress. Oh, yes. And uh, he, of course, uh, the interpreter showed a, a vision of two different people. One was named Passion, the other was named Patience. Mm. And, of course, uh, Passion, you know, wants everything right now. Let's do it almost like the uh, prodigal son, you know, give me my inheritance now. And it's squandered and gone, you know. Where is yeah. Patience? You know, the, then Christian realizes Patience is the one who really has the better part because he waits and waits on God. And a lot of time, that's what we have to do is is wait on God, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, let me throw it back at you, Dan. Um, when you started this radio station, um, how many years ago was that? <laughs> well, actually, we got started doing translator work in 1983. Yeah, and, and so... The Redeemer was finally um, kind of started, well, not kind of started, it was founded in 2004, 
It went on the air full-time 2005. 2005, I remember that. (laughs) You were kind of forced on the the air full-time by Harold Camping. That's true. And and you may have thought, you know, by this point, you know, what what vision you might have had for, in terms of transmitters and, and outreach and a lot of things and... It's just a slow, steady plotting, I think, yeah. that the Lord teaches us. And he, he brings forth, you know, beauty out of ashes, certainly, but it's in his timing. And, and that's kind of the sense here today, isn't it? Um, Kevin, in your, in your experience, uh, you know, we'll certainly talk about much from the Scriptures, but in your experience, what have you seen? Well, much the same thing. I mean, obviously, it's a pervasive scriptural theme, the need for endurance. And, and really an eschatological perspective that, mm. that uh, we're oriented toward a, a city which is to come. And here, we're pilgrims and strangers. We have no lasting city. And so we do need to take a, a, long, a long-term view. I, I uh, had personally felt called to the ministry for many, many years, but I, it was something that the Lord did not enable till I was mm-hmm. relatively older, and I had a full 25-year career at IBM before that happened. Right. So yeah. um, I'm acquainted with this idea of waiting many, many years for yeah. the moment of these things. Yeah. And it was interesting because I watched you, you know, I, I think I started getting to know you maybe around 1988 or, or thereabouts uh, because we were co-workers. And um, you had certain skills, certain giftings, uh, certainly in the workplace, but more specifically in terms of theology and in teaching people the Word of God. And those giftings and callings started to become evident. But like you say, they just took a while. Um, and, and God had his hand upon your life, a calling. Um, but it, it wasn't evident um, from the very beginning. It, it took a while, in the, in the workplace even. You know, if we think of the whole scriptural story, uh, this notion of historical Slowness, especially as perceived by moderns in our you know, mm-hmm. post-internet age, mm-hmm. where everything seems to be sped up. The slowness of the scriptural story and the working of God has to be recaptured somehow. I mean, if you think of the world after uh, you, know, you have the flood, and then you have the, uh, the, uh, the nations of the world that are delineated there in Genesis 10, and then you get the Tower of Babel incident where they're scattered, and so you have this scattered, judged world, and God begins to uh, want to restore the world, redeem yes. the world, and bring salvation to the world. And he does that by calling one idolatrous pagan man from northern Mesopotamia. <laughs> right? I mean, if you went in with that plan to any corporate executive and said, here's how I intend to restore the world now that it has been judged and scattered, um, they would laugh you. It's, it's in one sense, um, a monument of inefficiency. You're going to call yes. one man, you're going to send him down to Canaan, into the Promised Land, and as you mentioned, then you're going to have his descendants uh, be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years? Yeah, it's hard to fathom that, really. It's a long, yeah. patient dialogue where God is forging Israel into a people so that they can be a light to the Gentiles and bring forth the Messiah, and God's timetable is absolutely nothing like ours in the whole process. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we're going to take a break here shortly, and I can think of, of mothers uh, who 
have been praying for uh, perhaps the the family came to Christ you know later later in life let's say and the mother and father believed and now the the young ones were already grown up and now this precious mother is praying for the salvation of her son of her daughter and carrying this burden even to her dying day perhaps and maybe not seeing fulfillment and yet that child coming to faith later on in life and God being faithful to those prayers that he um, uh, caused the mother <laughs> to even want to pray. Um, it, it moves slow at times, doesn't it? Um, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, maybe we can talk about a couple of historical, a few more historical examples, perhaps more contemporary examples as well, of uh, a long-term perspective. Uh, we are to be encouraged, uh, dear listener today, that God is on the throne, that he's advancing his kingdom, that he He uses us, a little puny us, he uses us for his honor and glory as his kingdom spreads around this world. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. In the studio with me today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich, and on the phone, the Reverend Kevin Sherritt. We're talking about God's long-range perspective in redemptive history. And Kevin, during the break, you had some thoughts, so why don't you take it from here? Well, we already talked about the 400, you know, the call of Abraham and, if you will, the inefficiency of that from a modern perspective. In the 400 years in Egypt, you mentioned, Dan, you know, Moses having 40 years of preparation and being called to deliver the nation at 80 years of age. But it's important to remember that throughout the prophets, you know, Israel goes into exile. And many of the great prophetic promises, which are corporate in nature, mm-hmm. uh, um, entail Israel living through a 70-year uh, Babylonian exile. And um, we can distort these texts by plucking the nice and 
pretty texts out of the prophets and applying them to ourselves. This is often done with Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, yes. welfare and not for evil, mm. to give you a future and hope. That's a, that's a text to a people who, whose homeland has been devastated uh, and whose whole people and, and kin are either in exile or dead. Mm-hmm. And, and it's that nation that will be uh, restored and has a future and a hope after 70 years of exile. Most of the people who heard those words of Jeremiah would die. And, and so a thing to remember here is that God's great long-term purposes are really for the corporate body of Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they're not, you know, it's, it's easy to individualize these things. And uh, we must remember that what God's doing in the earth is, is tied to the church. And, and then you'll read these texts in Isaiah, the latter half of Isaiah, starting in chapter 40, about God coming to save and to comfort his people. And that begins after the 70-year exile. But even then, there's another 400-year gap or so until the coming of Christ when those promises are then fulfilled on a greater scale. And even then, there's a multiple thousand-year delay or more until Mm -hmm. the Lord comes again and fulfills the promises. So our whole time scale has to be reoriented toward the sovereign, eternal creator's scale. This is why in Isaiah you know, 40, God looks down at the nations and says they're a drop in the bucket, uh, that kings and princes are uh, basically, they, they are uh, scarcely thrown, uh, sown, and then they are essentially blown away. I mean, yeah. from, God's, from God's perspective, all reigns and all empires are particularly short. And so you move into the New Testament, and you have the notion that Christ is come and that the kingdom is at hand, there's a kind of structural nearness of the end now. But we have all of these parables of Jesus, the sower and the seed, the leaven, the yes. wheat and the pears, the tenants in the vineyard where the owner's gone away for a long time, you know, the ten virgins who don't have enough oil in their lamps, uh, the parable of the talents, which assumes a need to invest and to look toward the future, which, which teach us that. I, I think they teach us two things. One, we're, we're to look toward the coming of Christ and in the meantime, we're to plan on long historical periods of labor. Yes, no question. And, and I, I want to say this quickly, too. You know, even though God's perspective is long-term, um, for each day that we live, I mean, we have a task set before us. And uh, this is not to take away the urgency of working hard for our King Jesus for that particular day, that particular week, month, year. And so we don't want to set this up as an excuse to be lazy in terms of our Christian service and our Christian work. Yeah, that's a, that's one of the important things is uh, what uh, the children of Israel did in the meantime, you know, and some of them did, okay, well, let's just get and conform to the to the society around them rather than looking ahead right. to God's deliverance. You saw it in in Egypt where when they were freed uh this whole idea of the golden calf that wasn't a stranger to many of these these people yeah they they some of them had had drunk deeply in, in the paganism of the Egyptians and and that's what you have uh, you know coming in the diaspora when they're spread out after the captivity waiting for the time of Christ mm-hmm. you have many of them occupying and and looking for that coming and living their lives focused on that, mm-hmm. um, while others uh, decided that, uh, well, we need to live for today. And yeah. the idea is to live, you know, in the long term and 
if nothing happens today, if nothing happens tomorrow, if nothing happens in 10 years to remain faithful. Yeah. You know, I, I just happened to open up my, my Bible. Not just happened, but I was thinking about Psalm 110. Um, and I really think that this is the perspective God would have us have of him as the king of kings. Um, it, it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And, and this is a powerful verse. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. And so the picture here is of a conquering king really uh, putting his foot on his enemy's neck uh, like a hassock. And um, this is a powerful picture of God being victorious. And I think that's one of the takeaway items here Mm -hmm. today, that we have an almighty God who has given us the Great Commission to the Church primarily and secondarily to us as individual Christians, and that basically he promises success. And now mix that together with the fact that in America, you know, where we live right now, I mean, we're not doing too well. And and I want to say the reason is because we have forsaken our first love. We have forsaken the God of the Covenant. And, and as a people... We tend to be going our own way, and what should we expect but his judgment? But that in no way compromises this notion, this idea that God is the king and the Lord of lords and that mm-hmm. he is winning the battles. And maybe, Kevin, you've got some comments about that. I think you're right, Dan, in that uh, the church is called to be leaven, right? And it's called to sow seed and, and to be light and salt, um, the difficult thing is, of course, we can't tease out or measure exactly what the ramifications of that will be in, in our lifetime, right. or even in three or four lifetimes. Yes. But we do know that, that God is a covenant God, and, and even built into the Ten Commandments, He shows mercy to a thousand generations mm. of those who love Him, and uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, shows His judgment to the third or fourth generation if we talk about the Second Commandment. So there's a there's a covenantal structure to history. Maybe this is the way to put it. Right. That favors the long term. In fact, not favors, but guarantees the long term success of God's purposes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I would um, maybe clarify some of the remarks I, I made earlier about the prophets. I think. We can say that all of these promises, these grand and glorious promises in the prophets, apply to us as individuals, but they apply to us as individuals in Christ, yes. in the body of Christ. In Christ, all the promises of God are yea and amen. Mm-hmm. So, but, but again, I think that means uh, that we have to, if you will, tie our fate, if you will, our personal historical narratives, our, our vanishing, vaporizing lives have to be anchored in his life and in his body to which all mm-hmm. the promises refer. Yeah, and, and, and that means we're oriented toward God's future. And that's absolutely right. I mean, when you look at the early church, what they sat there till 315, uh, they were persecuted. They were persecuted first by the Jews, then by the Romans, and then by all, all manner of people. And when you think about that in terms of lifetimes and generations, many generations went through persecutions lost loved ones uh, because of it, and we're still waiting for the second coming of the Lord. We're still waiting for it today. Yes. And that's why we have to have the long term. Now, I know that a lot of people will say, and I will absolutely agree with them, I look at the, the times now, and they look ripe for the second coming of the Lord. But uh, the time of the Reformation, when Luther looked at it, it looked just as right back sure. then. 
Sure. You know, and and so again, we focus on being faithful on, and as you said, Kevin, tying ourselves, our life in Christ. Uh, that's where it's at, mm-hmm. and that's uh, where our focus needs to continue. You, you know, in the um, in the book of Revelation, without trying to get into the interpretation of it, there's this continual call for the patient endurance of the saints, mm-hmm. for, for faithful witness and martyrdom in the face of bestial opposition and persecution. And, and, and almost all commentators see the beast in Revelation as, as the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you think of it in those terms, um, the, the complete destruction or the fall of that beast um, took three or four hundred years from the time John wrote mm-hmm. before the beast you know, would actually collapse and, and Christians would get long-term relief from the persecution. So mm-hmm. um, the book of Revelation is a wonderful book. You can, you can uh, be greatly encouraged along the lines of our conversation today just by reading the whole thing, trying not to get lost in the details. Yes. But, you know, you just you worship the Lamb, you, uh, you cheer for the saints, you detest the beast, and you long for the kingdom. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Well, what about um, building projects? I... I I'm just fascinated by building projects. Before we opened the mics today, we mentioned something that pertains to building projects, and, and Mark, I think you had some What was this, the, the big studio that you were planning, Dan? No. No. <laughs> we can hardly move we'll, in we'll here. Have it. <laughs> the equipment isn't working today. So. <laughs> it's interesting when you look at, at some of the cathedrals, and uh, especially, for example, in Rome, yeah. St. Peter's Cathedral, I think it was started in 1506. You know, just before the Reformation, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, Luther and Calvin and all the reformers were long dead, and and the guys who started were long dead before it was finished. I think it was something like sixteen twenty six or something like mm-hmm. that. One hundred and twenty years to finish this. Um, you look at uh, the uh, the Cathedral of Saint John the Divine, an Episcopalian cathedral down in New York City, uh, was started. I think in something like eighteen ninety two. And uh, there's comments that it's still not complete. So, oh yeah. so they still have have work on on these things. But again, the kingdom of God is a long, long term. And so, you know, um, yeah. you know, I I, I want to encourage those of you who are involved with projects, and even maybe building a church to do it well. Um, yeah. Don't just put this thing together like some cheap little thing, but. But really plan it out well. And Kevin, you've been thinking about building projects. And um, to do it right takes a lot of planning, a lot of careful design work, engineering, uh, raising of funds. And it's not some short-term thing where you just get some T-111, tack it together and put a little steeple on it and call it a church. But it can be. It'll work that way. No question about it. But isn't it better to do a good job and to plan for the long haul, to plan for my children's children using that building yeah i think that's true and i think that often uh, building committees don't ask the question uh do we want this building to stand for 250 or 500 right right yeah you know today i i before this coming in the studio today uh for this program i was already down in uh, the city of poughkeepsie I happened to drive past one of the church buildings there, and the cornerstone was 1905. And I believe this church building has changed hands, and there's some evangelical group now that that owns the building, and it's just a, a glorious structure. It's absolutely beautiful. 
and I, I just enjoyed the presence of that of that building, if I can say it that way, because I know it was built for the glory of God. And these guys didn't do a cheap job. They poured their lives into into building this for God's glory. And it, do, and it does something for you. I think that's the way everything we do in life has to be for the glory of God and done to the best of our ability, for the long haul. Yeah, the majesty. A lot of the old architecture try to exemplify the majesty of God. In addition yeah. to that, some of the, the uh, like the stained glass work and that oh, was... Yeah. Was to to be instructive. Um, yeah. I, I knew a, a church that had started as a Catholic church and then had been bought by the Presbyterians in Chicago. And uh, you you have all these windows, and you go down there, and they're all the Bible stories. <laughs> I love and, that. And 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 yeah. it's so instructive. And so you know when yeah. they they want to remodel it, they say they're keeping all that stuff. You know, yeah. there's a yeah a lot of stuff. I'm just looking at the clock here. We are out of time already, believe it or not, for this program today. And, uh, Kevin, maybe you have just one wrap-up thought before we, before we close today. Well, I think we do want to affirm that uh, while we're, we're working on these projects, we're constantly affirming that the great temple and building we're working on is the body of Christ, right? Yes. We have to hold these things in balance. Yes. You know, of course the church is not the building. And, of course, the Church can never be identified with our projects, per se. But uh, as the temple that God is building, the Church leaves behind, uh, if you will, sacraments or signs of the coming city, which is mm-hmm. described with great, great mm-hmm. architectural uh, splendor in, in the book of Revelation at the end of the book, you know, when the new Jerusalem descends. And mm-hmm. so I think we have this sense of... Uh, you know, we're pilgrims and strangers here. We have the long-term perspective. But our God is the God, the Creator God, who affirms His creation and is going to re- restore and heal and transfigure this creation. So we labor in this creation and, and with, with great hope and confidence and certainty, knowing that we have no lasting city here. And that's Amen. the tension I think you have to walk in here. Amen. Yeah. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today for another Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I trust that this has been encouraging to our brothers and sisters in the Lord as you labor for our God, our King of kings and Lord of lords, and that you will do glorious work for His glory, for His honor, and that He will bless your work, and that it's good to have a long-range perspective in terms of uh, God fulfilling His promises in his timing, for his glory. In the studio with me today has been the Reverend Mark Diedrich on the phone, the Reverend Kevin Sherritt. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Please join us again next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 